Amen. In our selfish versus soul-filled sermon series, today we come to uh, prayer, addressing the Almighty. Now, last week, of course, we addressed prayer, and particularly prayer and the guidance of God's Word through Psalm 13, praying in times of darkness and distress, at the edge of despair. If you missed that sermon and that service, I encourage you to go back to that service and that sermon, uh, which deals with a particular dimension of prayer in our own lives when we're in times of darkness and struggle. Uh, We'll continue focusing on prayer through next Sunday as well. But today, somewhat of the central sermon on prayer in this selfish versus soul-filled series, addressing the Almighty. Addressing the Almighty, I encourage you to follow along with the sermon notes uh, as we turn to God's Word and then apply this and learn from this on this, what is our annual meeting day for our congregation as well as the FPC Starkville Corporation. Scripture now from Matthew, from the Sermon on the Mount, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, Uh, where we find uh, Jesus leading into and beginning what we call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaching his disciples, teaching us the way to pray. Matthew 6, verses 7 through 9. uh, 1 John, chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. And then Jude, uh, verses 20 and 21. It's Jude, chapter 1. There is only one chapter in Jude. Hear now God's word. Jesus says, and when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, because they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, because your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray, then, like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then to 1 John 5, 13 through 15. I write these things, the Apostle John says, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, in in contrast to those who are not following the way of the Lord, who are supposedly in the church but do not follow the way of the Lord. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. In other words, toward the Son of God, that is Jesus Christ. This is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, then we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. We trust in that eternally. It will come to fruition. And then Jude, verses 20 and 21. Excuse me. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Again, a contrast here. He's been talking about people who are false teachers and false Christians. Now he comes back, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying 
in the Holy Spirit. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Uh, I want to thank you all for your prayers and your vigilance in prayers this past week for our sister in the faith and sister from our church family, Cynthia Ware. As you know, and we're keeping up with my prayer request uh, this past week, Cynthia, after really three years, at least three years, and, and some more of that too, but the last two, three years have been really intensely bad for Cynthia in so many ways, so many challenges. I've been blessed so much by her holding fast, her faith and her love of you and this church family. But you know, through going through all those times of losing the vision in her right eye and the disequilibrium that she's been dealing with for several years now, and the uh, constant buzzing and then screeching in her head that she's heard nonstop for the last couple years. Uh, with, you know, just to begin to think of all the things that Cynthia has gone through. And of course, you've been praying for her and we've had her in our prayer list uh, for the last several years. But then the reason I intensified those prayer requests for you as we moved into spring break week is that wherever you were, whether you were skiing or here in Starkville or whatever, we could all come before the Lord on our knees and pray for Cynthia as she prepared for her surgery, long-awaited surgery. Originally, it was going to happen earlier this year, and finally it happened this past week. And when I talked to Cynthia and prayed with Cynthia before the surgery, I said, okay, now let me make sure I'm not confused about this. You have three different neurosurgeons involved in the same surgery. Am I correct on that? And Cynthia said, yes. I said, remind me exactly what they're doing. And in total lay summary terms, one of the neurosurgeons' job was, because she has had this huge hole in her skull, one of the, the surgeons' jobs was to lift up and hold and sustain her brain uh, while the skull was going to be addressed. One of the surgeon's jobs was to deal with the hole in the skull, and another surgeon's job was to make sure all connective operations were maintaining so, of course, that she didn't die or short of death, uh, you know, become totally paralytic or lose all consciousness or, you know, never return to us mentally, those types of things. So we, we got a, a surgery with three Neurosurgeon. Now, some of you have undergone surgery. I'm going to just guess that in this service today and maybe even online, few of you have undergone surgery that involved three neurosurgeons at the same time. And then, of course, there are all kinds of other helpers and technicians involved in this type of intensive, complex, multi-hour surgery. So, um, when, when I talked with Cynthia, she, she, she you know, she, her sense of humor, even while all this screeching is going on in her head, uh, she's maintained her humor. You, you know this, if you know Cynthia, if you talk to her and pray with her periodically. She, she joked with me and she said, they, they actually came in and asked, like the lead nurse, I think, for the anesthesiology group that was gonna be working this case, came in and asked, now, now I want to confirm, you have to respond to this, that uh, Cynthia, that you want to elect 
anesthesiology for this surgery. You may choose to undergo this surgery, you know, live awake um, without anesthesiology. I want to make that very clear to you. There are some risks involved in going under anesthetic. So what would you choose based on the surgery I just described? (laughs) Cynthia just had to laugh. She had the longest laugh with this lady asking this question. And then she laughed for about a minute when she told me this. And she said, absolutely, I I want anesthesiology for this surgery. Um, So let me ask you this, and and let me tell you, and you've seen my email updates, she's already out of the hospital, believe it or not. Not only did the surgery go amazingly well, she still has some of the screeching, but it's much reduced. Uh, Vision has returned, which is awesome. Um, Her balance is gonna strengthen, it's already better. And she was able to leave the hospital already, yesterday or day, Friday afternoon or yesterday uh, morning, I believe. Let me ask you this, how do you choose to go through your day? Do you elect to go with God or without God? With the Spirit or without the Spirit? If I had arrived and asked Cynthia following this big question about the anesthesiology, now, now let me ask you this, do you want to go through the surgery on your own or with Jesus holding your hand? What would, what would you choose? What, what would you choose if I said, um, you know, gas is pretty expensive. I can either give you an automobile with the tank completely empty or you may have a tank full and you need to drive to Jackson, Mississippi or Birmingham this afternoon. Which would you choose? Do you choose to live your life filled and renewed in prayer or not? You know, it's it's a choice we make every day. And and I'm fascinated by how many people, and Cynthia could have said, look, I'm really busy. This surgery is going to be complex and I've got a lot of things to get in order. I don't need anesthesiology. I'm too busy for it. That's basically what we're saying to God and to God's power when we don't pray. Would you choose to live a single day of marriage without God and without prayer? You know, there are a lot of couples that do that. Let me commend and encourage those of you who are married not to go through a single day, not only in prayer on your own, but specifically in prayer with your spouse. As complicated as that neurosurgery was for Cynthia, I would argue that perhaps being a parent is more challenging and complex sometimes than a surgery involving three neurosurgeons and all kinds of other technicians. How foolish it would be to presume that you could guide the soul of a young person without God's help and without turning to God. How foolish for a couple (laughs) to presume and propose that they're going to parent and shepherd a child without God and without prayer. 
Which brings us to this central question as we come not only to the day where we focus on the past year and moving ahead in this year for our church family, but also for all of our households that are extended parts of this church family. Single people, married people, empty nested, nested, whatever your situation is, you are an extension of the body of Christ and specifically of this congregation. If you're a member, even if you're just an active visitor worshiping with us right now, you're part of Christ church. And let me ask you, are you a prayer or not? Is this going to make all the difference in the world in your life and in your family and in your faith and in your walk with the Lord? I know some people who are really good at playing, but they virtually are non-existent in praying. I'm going to guess that some of you have friends, neighbors, even relatives, maybe even close relatives who play a lot, but don't pray very much. That sounds kind of stupid and foolish when you think about it, doesn't it? Um, other people spend a lot of time paying, but they're not praying. And they may be paying for stuff that, again, is kind of foolish. Sometimes in the church, the tendency of those of us who live in the richest nation in the history of the world is say, and by the way, I'm all for this. You guys know I'm all for this. I want to, I, we definitely need to bring God's tithe, but further these mission opportunities and special giving opportunities, those are really important. But to say, well, I can pay for something, but I'm not going to pray for something, that's an affront to God. It's a both-and situation. So today, we're going to talk about prayer, addressing the Almighty. And you can follow along with the notes. Several, this is really kind of a, a brief overview of various dimensions of prayer today as we look at prayer centrally as part of this little group of sermons related to prayer. Number one, uh, what we learn from the scripture is this. We got a couple negatives on the first couple points here. Don't pray by yourself, for yourself, to the God that yourself imagines. Don't pray by yourself, for yourself, to the God that yourself imagines. Now, what I'm talking about here is in the sense of Jesus's words on selfishness and worldliness and self-righteousness. Clearly, there are times. I pray to God all the time when physically I'm not with somebody else. I mean, one of the things I, I try to do and kind of try to redeem the time, if I'm running or if I'm at various points when I'm driving, those are, those are great prayer times for me. That, that's, I'm not talking about physically, but, but if I were praying unto myself, as the scripture says, as Paul says, uh, you know, we, we, live, we live either unto the Lord or to ourselves. And this is in the general sense of you better not be disconnected when you're praying, okay? Uh, and, and praying by yourself. Jesus tells a parable, one of his famous parables on prayer is a little short one. And it's in Luke chapter 18. And he says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. 
one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And listen to this next little description. I won't go through the whole parable. The Pharisee standing by himself. Did you hear that? Because he views himself as being set apart. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector over there. And then, well, I'll go ahead and give you the rest of the parable. You know, the, the, the tax collector beats his breast and says, just prays like, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a total sinner. And Jesus turns around and he says, I tell you the truth, it's the second man, in other words, the tax collector, who went away justified. In other words, God heard his prayers. God thought the first prayer was obnoxious, a prayer unto myself, for myself, by myself, to a God of my own self-imagination. So, uh, for yourself. Now, of course, again, let me clarify. We are supposed to ask things, okay? We're supposed to make supplications and petitions for ourselves. However, the question is, how you make it up, right? And so Jesus says, this is the intro verse for this whole series on selfish versus soul-filled. You'll find this uh, in Matthew's gospel. It's over in chapter 16, verse 25. Jesus says, for whoever would save his life, and remember the word there, the suke means self, soul, life. It's all the same. Okay. Whoever would try to save his life, himself, his soul, will lose it. But whoever loses his life, who loses himself, who's willing to give up his soul for my sake, will find it. The great paradox of a relationship with God. If you're into yourself, you're never going to trust Jesus and follow Jesus as your Savior. Same way with prayer, right? If my prayer is inside of my head to the God of my own imagination, all about what I want, it's not going to heaven. <laughs> There's no connection there with God. So again, in the sense of what Jesus talks about with selfishness, worldliness, and self-righteousness. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, because they think if they keep talking, just like they try to do with their friends, if I'm going to keep talking at you until you finally relent, or surrender and agree, maybe I can do that with God too. And Jesus says, that's not the way it works with God. You don't argue God into doing what you want. You don't, you don't put on a show uh, with all these words. And then Jesus says this too. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot do it. You've got to choose your God in this life. You've got to choose to whom you bow down. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about the body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he, God, not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But you, you all, this is addressed, it's an imperative, it's a command to a group, you all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Yes, we pray for daily bread, but that's about all we pray for, okay? Number two, don't, here's our other negative here, don't play act prayer for an audience approval. Man in the flesh, that is the temptation, isn't it? Even in family prayers and definitely in church prayers and small group prayers and big worship prayers, the temptation is to play act for the existing human fleshly audience. Jesus is very clear on this. This is not connecting with God. Don't play act prayer for an audience's approval. Address God, not people, with prayer. An audi true audience of one here that we're talking about. Okay? When you pray, do not pray like, well, you know, they need to hear this from me, or they'll be impressed with this, or let me make sure they know I'm right where they are on this political issue. No, no, no. That is not. That's, that's, that's playing to the crowd. That is not talking to God, or more importantly, pausing and listening for God. Jesus says, when you pray, this is Matthew 6, 5 and 6. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. You know what the hypocrites are, right? Okay, the hypocrites, that comes from the Greek term for the play actors in Greek drama and Greek theater who put on masks. And by the way, the men could play women, which nowadays, I guess we kind of all the same thing. But anyway, uh, look, in those days, that was considered odd, but that was an obvious, like, put on, okay? So you put on a mask. I'm a demon now. I'm a dragon now. I'm a... Jesus says, that's what you're doing with God. Don't be like people who are putting on masks in front of God. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward but when you pray, and again, this is to second person plural. This is to people together. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. I've had various people in my ministry career or even before I was in pastoral ministry who would say, well, th therefore, I only do secret prayers by myself individually. It's like, look, this is addressed to a group, number one. And, and number two, the point is Jesus prays all the time publicly with his folks. He's teaching them to pray as a group, right? However, what he's saying is when you pray, you need to let this world go and turn to God, whether you're physically individual or better, even with a group in a prayer gathering. It needs to not be to a human audience. Even the folks you are with, even though you connect with them as the body together, ultimately we are talking to and listening to God, addressing the Almighty. That's what Jesus is saying. So again, prayer is not ritual theater. We have enough ritual theater in our lives 
on social media, in the houses of Congress, you know, all these dances and, you know, speeches that are made that don't really meet. This is not prayer, okay? Prayer is not droned repetition. Yes, we are supposed to pray through the scripture, but we're not talking about droned repetition. Prayer is not a teacher's pet moment. God, I know I'm your favorite, so I just wanted to check in with you. And it's not a teacher's pet moment, not to, like, not to manipulate God. Oh, you're just the best teacher I've ever had. Can I get special privileges? No, 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 that's not what this is. Nor is it a political monologue aimed at other people or God. It's not what it is. So let's go to what it is. Pray, number three, pray with and for, pray with and for God's people. The Christian church, Christian households, our brothers and sisters. As often as possible, we should seek to physically come together to pray. Definitely on Sunday mornings, definitely on Wednesdays, on Thursday when there's a prayer gathering here, on Tuesday morning when we have the, the men's Bible study and prayer time. Definitely come together in other contexts, in small groups, uh, with friends and neighbors, and certainly people from our church family when we get together. Pray physically as often as possible, but even if I'm physically by myself, and definitely if I'm with my household group, I pray understanding I'm connected not only with them, but also with the larger church and definitely with my home congregation. Parents, if your prayer time with your children does not extend out to other people in the body and other people in the congregation, expand it. Teach your children to pray as members of the church. And certainly for our fifth and sixth graders as we begin this covenant class that Janice is beginning right now, what a great time for those children to learn more and more about being connected with the covenant people of God. That prayer is, this is basic 101 scriptural prayer to be connected with the church. Pray with our brothers and sisters. Again, Jesus says this, it's a you all command, y'all, for those of us who are Southern, y'all, pray like this, our Father, notice that, our Father, we pray together as children of the heavenly household together to our Father, our Father. Ephesians 6, 18. Pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. That means other Christians, it's other Christians. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another. The Bible commands us a number of times to do that. What a thought, right? If we actually start doing that, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Christian households, that'd be a radical change, wouldn't it? Confess our sins to one another, you know, in our Tuesday night family prayer time, and then pray with one another. You wanna see a marriage changed? Husband, wife, confess your sins to one another and pray with one another. The Bible's actually commanding you to do this and certainly commanding us as a, as a church family to do this. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, 
all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Our prayers should reflect that. The highs and the lows of the church family, of the extended Christian family. And definitely we need to be praying for situations like in Ukraine and Ethiopia right now, but all kinds of other places in between, all the way to our local friends and brothers and sisters. You know, at the end of Job, at the end of the book of Job, it's really interesting. When does God, I'll probably come back to this next Sunday, but when does God actually restore Job's fortunes? When Job obeys God and prays for his friends. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. When he had prayed for his friends. Uh, James says that when we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another, we are then healed. It's about as foolish as going into three neurosurgeon, <laughs> neurosurgery without anesthesiology as navigating or proposing to navigate through life without serious prayer, including for our brothers and sisters. Fourth, address the Almighty as the Almighty. He's awesome. He's God. Uh, I've got a passage from Jeremiah cited just briefly what's going hap what's happening in Jeremiah 32 is that when Jeremiah has been prophesying that the Babylonians are about to take um, Jerusalem and all of Judah, uh, there's this famous situation where God commands. I mean, Jeremiah is the prophet that, yes, what the other prophets have been saying now, I'm telling you, it's about to go down, you know, Zedekiah doesn't want to hear it, you know, he's He's all upset. The king is all upset with this horrible, treasonous, supposedly treasonous prophet who's saying it's all going down. And then God tells Jeremiah um, that field in Anathoth, you know, in your hometown, that Levitical town, three, three miles northeast of Jerusalem. Um, I want you to go uh, redeem that family property because you're, you're, you're a kinsman redeemer. And go ahead and pay serious money for this piece of property that the Chaldeans are already overrunning, the Babylonians are already overrunning. And by the way, it's going to be like 70 years before you can even, you know, you're going to be dead and gone, Jeremiah. But nevertheless, I want you to take some of your limited cash resources and plow it into that field right now. And, <laughs> and Jeremiah then prays to God, and he says, this is in Jeremiah 32, verse 17, Ah, oh, Lord God. It is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah gets the message that God taught um, Abraham. You know, you read it back in um, Genesis 18. No, no, no. Within a year, Sarah's going to have a son. I'll come back. <laughs> You'll be having a baby. Okay? Nothing's too hard for God. Genesis 18, 14. What the angel Gabriel tells Mary, you know, Luke 1.37, nothing is impossible for God. Jeremiah understands this. He gets the message that runs through scripture. But then he says, what are you doing? <laughs> you, you sent me as the prophet to prophesy doom, and you're asking me to redeem this property? And God says this, therefore, thus says the Lord, 
Behold, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans, etc. But behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Let me tell you this, Jeremiah, what I'm going to do is after the punishment and after the exile, I'm going to bring back a remnant people and I'm going to make an everlasting covenant. And there's going to be a new covenant where the people actually are my people and holy unto me. So you trust in me, even though you're never going to see a payout on this, and you spend those 17 shekels on that piece, piece of ground as a testimony to who I am. So sometimes if you pray to God, understand, and he's the almighty, he's going to have you do things that do not make any sense at all to you, even if you are a scripture-soaked <laughs> believer, which Jeremiah was. Jeremiah said, I don't get this. And God said, it's part of your prophecy. I will redeem and I will establish an everlasting covenant. So you go by that land. Nothing is impossible with God. Pray to God, not about just about your immediate issues, but understand that he may be using you for something that's going to happen 100 years from now. And listen to him. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ever ask or even come up and think of, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That doxology is the story of the church. It's the story, God willing, of our congregation. And then fifth and finally, we address the Almighty by and in the Almighty. By and in the Almighty. In other words, don't go to God by yourself. Go in the name of Jesus and in his Holy Spirit. That's the message of the scripture. In John 14, 13, we read what Jesus told his disciples on, in, on the night before uh, he went to the cross in, in the upper room discourse. Whatever you all, and again, that's plural. So many people miss this. This is plural. Whatever you all ask in my name, whatever you all ask together as the church in my name, I'm going, to, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to answer it if you ask it in my name. Well, what does in my name mean? Go to 1 John 5.14 and you get the answer. If we ask anything according to his will, to ask in Jesus' name means to ask in the full personhood and power and character of who he is. Okay, It's not an abracadabra formula. It is to ask in the will of Jesus as the church together. That's what the two things verses are talking about. And then Jude, talking to people who will divide you and who, who don't have the spirit, false teachers. After, after really addressing them, you know, Jude opens with saying to the true believers, you need to contend for the faith. Then Jude comes back with this. But you all building yourselves together up in faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. We are called as believers and as the church together to pray in the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And that is a different kind of prayer than most people do. That is a prayer that let goes of us and communes with God as the church together communing, communing with God, prayers led by God, for God, exalting God, glorifying God. And we have good news because of course the scripture tells us that when we do not know what we should pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. That's in Romans chapter eight. 
Romans chapter 8, Paul also says that the Spirit causes us to cry out in true prayer to God, Abba and Father. This is not put on prayer. This is not public performance prayer. This is real communion with God that is led and infused and centered in God himself bringing us to God. We approach the throne of mercy in the blood of Jesus Christ in his name, in his power. That is the way you pray. Parents, that's the way you pray. Church, that's the way we're called to pray. In the spirit, in the name of Jesus, communing with God and together as God's people. That is prayer. That is prayer. And we are called to that and we rejoice in that prayer. And I encourage us and call upon us as people of God to be prayers and to be a church and a people and families and households that are committed to and empowered and renewed and changed and transformed by prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the power of his spirit, live in him now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we turn to you. Now lead us as we continue to focus on prayer and move into our meetings in a sense of joy and prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand and say what we believe, joining in our confession of faith from the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 178. What is prayer? Prayer is offering our desires to God in the name of Christ with the help of his spirit. We come before you, and Lord, we rejoice in your grace and in the fullness of your invitation and commands in Jesus Christ to bring all our cares and concerns to you and to glorify your name and to be people of power that comes from you, communing with you in prayer. We pray for that. We ask for that. Forgive us, Lord, of our negligence and our turning to our own devices and our own powers and just listening to our own heads and supposedly praying, but really our prayers being about ourselves and to ourselves instead of to you. Let us slow down and wait upon you and listen unto you. We pray for that, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here who does not know you or perhaps has wandered far away from a real living relationship with you, that this might be a day, Lord, when they would cry out to you and say, Father, forgive me. Bring me home to you by your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would, if you're, if you're with us right now or listening to this, that you would cry out if God is calling you to do so. Lord, we continue to pray for the Cade and Daniel's families, for all those folks in Ethiopia, Ukraine, surrounding nations, and elsewhere in, in such a time of travail, Lord. We pray for truth and the work of your, your ministry. We pray especially in Ukraine and surrounding areas uh, for the mission workers of Samaritan's Purse whom we are supporting. Be with all the mission workers. Lord, we come before you and we pray in the way you teach us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Beloved, hear the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Hallelujah and amen.
now may he go above you to watch over you, behind you to encourage you, beside you to befriend you, within you to give you his peace, and before you to show you his way, now and forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be